I notice if you go into a bookstore, Eason's or somewhere, Waterstones, you'll find a section in every bookstore, because it makes money, on living successfully. Successful living. How to have a successful business in 90 days. You know, uh, how to live like a millionaire. Um, well, you know, people want to be successful. People don't want to be failures. At least I hope not. But in, in, uh, in the Bible, God gives us some keys to a level of success that the world can never match. On the outside, you may see a Christian and call them a failure. But you know, one day at the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord will stand up and will honor people that we thought never amounted to anything, but they found the secrets to real success. I want to give those to you this morning, looking at just one life, the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, in Acts chapter 9, if you will take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse 11. I want you to watch a verse show a, a word show up in this verse. Acts chapter nine, starting in verse eleven. <clears throat> Acts chapter nine, verse eleven. The Lord said unto him, speaking to a man named Ananias, who was going to go and Help newly saved Saul of Tarsus. Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Verse 12, And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here... He hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how... What's the next word? Here's that word. I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now... That sounds like a rough life, but let's go to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, when you go through some time of suffering, and I'm not going to ask how many of you have had any recently, <laughs> but when you go through a hard, hard patch in your life, you know, the, the reality of it is you, you, you really wouldn't want to wish it on your enemy. But listen, for all the suffering, for all the hardships, for everything that Paul went through, listen to his, his yearning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of who? I want you to follow me, even as I also am following Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, unquestionably, is the greatest Christian who's ever lived. And I've read a lot of biographies. I've been impressed by a lot of different people who tried to serve the Lord. But I found that Paul never embezzled one penny. He never promoted a prosperity gospel or created a wealthy TV ministry on the desires of poor people. Never did anyone find secret sins going on in his private life. Paul was a godly man, a solid Christian, through and through, committed to turning his world back to God. He made three long missionary journeys throughout the Middle East and all the Roman Empire. Personally, he planted dozens of packed churches, preaching the gospel to thousands of people, giving strength and encouragement to to so many early Christians who endured such intense hardships of that day. He stood and he preached before kings and princes, as well as he endured prison cells and almost constant hardships. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, Paul wrote over half of them. He wrote 14 of them. On his final journey, he ended up in Rome, standing before Emperor Nero, who had him martyred in 65 AD. Now you'd say... All right, what's so important about that? Well, he has been the example followed by countless millions of people, Christians, who've patterned their lives around his life. Missionaries seek to turn the heathen world upside down, just like Paul did. 
Preachers seek to preach and write like Paul did. Christians seek to rejoice and glory in their tribulations, just as Paul did. Truly, Paul was an amazing Christian man. So what was his secret? What was it that makes him different? Was it his the day and age? He It must have been easy to be a Christian back then. No. Well, he must have had some, some unknown secret. No, it's all in our Bible. So that we could repeat it today. Paul had some secrets, and they're not so secret, by the way. But I like using that term because it makes you pay attention, you know. <laughs> Maybe this morning, if you'll hear it, it might might make a difference in your life. Father, would you bless as we pray? Bless the hearing of your word and the preaching of your word so that we don't miss one thing, God. But may we get at least one thing. One very important secret. Something out of the life of Paul so that you can begin an amazing work in us. Our world doesn't need run-of-the-mill Christians. It needs some amazing Christians. Not perfect ones. Ones who can turn it upside down. I pray that you would bless our understanding and Lord give us a yearning to live differently. Live beyond what we think we can. Just as Paul taught us and showed us in Jesus name. Amen. Alright. The first secret to Paul's greatness, his success was he was thoroughly converted. Go to Acts chapter 26. Listen to his own testimony, Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. He was thoroughly converted. And that seems to be a bad word in most people's minds. People want to say, take me as I am. Well, amen, that's good, great, you know. But the Lord's not going to leave you as you are. You know, as you are, you will never enter the gates of heaven. Something has to happen to fix you and prepare you to get beyond death's door. And that is called conversion. If you don't going to get converted now, there is no purgatory later. You must be born again. And if you're ever going to be more than a failure, and I don't want to preach failure this morning. I want to give you a sense of, oh, I'm nothing but a failure. But I want you to know the devil wants to convince you you're a failure. And that you can't live the Christian life. And that you'll never ever amount to anything in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, you already are something in the kingdom of God because you're God's child. And as his child, he has given you every tool to be a success. Not that you will roll in money. Not that you will have every prayer answered. Not that you will have no problems in your life. As a matter of fact, in all, that, in all reality, you'll probably have more problems in your life by being saved. Because you're going against the flow. Because you're standing against the darkness. But let me tell you, there is a joy. There is something that happens when you get thoroughly converted. That is the secret to greatness as a Christian. Again, don't get the idea that I'm trying to get you up there with, with the billionaires and the Facebook employees and all of these great uh, people, these people that are honored as great people in the media. Let me tell you, one day the Lord wants to be able to say, well done. I want to hear that. So how do I, how do I live in such a way that pleases him and is great in his eyes? First way, you've got to be born again. Look at Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. Paul says, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things. What's the word there? Contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember when you were lost and how you were so, you use that name like a filthy word? Paul said, I, I imagine ways to do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, whoo, I shouted, I, I jumped up, I gave my voice against them, I was happy. Verse 11, and I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them, I forced them to blaspheme being exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted even the, them even unto strange, faraway cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and it shone round about them that journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking just to me. 
and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, yep, that's in the Greek. Yep, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which I, which I will appear unto thee. Just, just think there for a second. Paul got converted. One minute, he is so dead, determined, dead set on eradicating the very memory of the name of Jesus Christ. I remember at my job when I first got saved, <clears throat> I worked at a at a place kind of like Argos, although we had still all the, the equipment out, and so you were buying stuff there. It wasn't in the back. But it was a, maybe, I don't know what to compare it to today, but it was a department store. Let's just call that. So I'm working there. But when I got saved, I remember taking a pack of tracks with me in my pocket, and I just started handing out. I was told, give the gospel out. So I started handing out, and wow, up came the supervisor and says, we will not have that in this premises. Try to shut it down. So I asked my pastor, I said, what do I do? He says, on your break, do it. When everybody's talking about football and girls and everything, talk about the Lord. I, at the break, while we're sitting there, fixing a cup of coffee, having a sandwich or whatever, out came the track, inviting out to church, pops that supervisor, she was a female, by the way, and she said, can't have that here. I said, show me. Show me that I can't talk about the Lord. Don't. Don't let the world shut you down because they want to eradicate that name. They want it to be, they want everything else honored and that name destroyed. That was Paul's ultimate goal was to eradicate that name. And then something happened. One minute he's going this way and what happened? The next minute he's now the opposite direction. That's what conversion means. Completely changed. See, all of a sudden, the very, the person that he thought was dead was talking to him. The person that he had had hated all of his night, life now was telling him, it's hard to fight against me, isn't it? In an instant, Jesus the Messiah was real. And from that moment, he was convinced he had been wrong. That every bit of his life and every zeal and effort that he had, had purposed was, was wrong. And conversion means a 180 degree change in direction. The, 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 the reason why modern Western Christians don't do much for the Lord is we kind of think we're going along with Jesus and we sort of just put him in our back pocket and think that's all we need. Well, let me tell you what you need to see yourself as before you're born again, you're an enemy of God. You are a, you are a, a sinner. You are ungodly. You are without hope, without God in this world. You must be born again. You say, that's not very popular. That's not very comforting. No, that's not the comforting part. The comforting part is Christ died for ungodly, wicked people. Amen. And he'd like you to be saved. See, I can't comfort you by telling you, oh, you're almost there. Just keep trying. Don't worry. You know, what What will make a lot of, of, of us much more active is if we realize just how saved we are. What do I mean by that? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I wasn't just, you know, struggling. No, I was blind. And there came a day where Jesus Christ opened my eyes and I understood just how lost and how messed up I was. Conversion is a 180 degree change of direction. And you know, when you change your direction, believe me, it'll change your life. How did it happen? Well, the first thing that happened was Saul was totally defeated. Saul had no negotiating power with Jesus. He didn't say, you know, Jesus, I'm a pretty good guy. No, at that moment he realized he was chief of sinners. He was thoroughly defeated. Absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. At that moment, he was no longer a Jewish Pharisee. No longer was he an educated teacher, no longer was he a wealthy leader or ruler of, of, of Jerusalem. He was, he was a, a lost man facing the judgment of God. And because 
of that, because of the loss of everything that he had, and his abandonment, he let go. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. With that attitude, that's what repentance is. Repentance is where you don't bring anything to God. You just realize you have nothing to offer him. You have no reasoning, no wisdom, no finagling, no negotiating. It's just, I'm lost and you seem to be the only one that can save. Please save me. Then you can count on it that he does. Because once you're broken, he can fix you. Amen? Until you're broken, there's no hope. You know, when, when, when somebody gets thoroughly converted, you say, do I have to convert it again? No. But you need to be able to look back at your life and just see how wretched you really were when you got saved. Instead of constantly saying, I'm pointing at, uh, at Leo, not for on purpose, all right? But, <laughs> but you need to realize just how lost you were and how messed up you were and that there was nothing good in you. And yet he loved you and he gave his life for you and he, he called you to follow him. When you understand just how saved you are, it, it does something to you, folks. It changes the way you look at life. Because his salvation was so dramatic. You say, I wish God would appear to me in, in, in a bright, shining light. I wish Jesus would talk to me. He doesn't have to. Just believe me. His love on that cross, his cry, forgive them, ought to be enough for you to go, wow, that's enough for me. You don't have to have any... Somebody says, Pastor, I wish I could save like you. No, you don't. You need to get saved like God saved you. Your testimony is yours. Don't try to get saved like me. Don't try to get saved like Paul. Just realize how great that salvation was. You know what Paul loved to do? Everywhere he went, if I got a chance to, to preach at a university, oh, the temptation might be for me to try to wow them with my intelligence. You know what Paul loved to do when he talked to people? Give his testimony. Let me tell you how I met Jesus. <laughs> because it was the greatest day of his life. Salvation can make anybody a great Christian. Just getting saved. Do you even remember what happened when you got saved? Do you even remember what it was when the Lord saved you? Did it have an effect on you? Did me. Did me. I got known as the preacher boy. They called me preacher. Here comes preacher. I carried that all the way up until I worked for the telephone company. And I never went around saying, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a missionary. Never once did I ever tell anybody what I was going to be. I just handed out gospel tracts and I got this little label. Well, here comes a preacher. Amen. Saul's salvation made him a great Christian. If you get nothing else, make sure you're saved. And if you could build your life on that relationship with Jesus Christ on His righteousness, on His Word, on what He's doing in your life, you'll be a great Christian. Just start there. Second secret that He had. He was completely dependent upon Christ's power and not His own. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Say it with me. Read this verse carefully with me. Ready? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul writes some of the most amazing words. What does he say? I can do all things through Christ because why? Because he strengthens me. Evidently, one of the great secrets of the life of the Apostle Paul that kept him going, and by the way, he didn't travel by chariot, he didn't travel even on horseback that we know of, he never had hardly anything. There were times where he had no clothes. He said there were times where I was naked, where I was cold, where I had no food. So he had nothing to draw on. He had no bank accounts, no wallets, no friends to call. You know what he had? Jesus Christ. And he said, he helps me do anything I need to do. That was a secret of his name. Say, well, you know, I can't do this. Of course you can't. Well, I just don't know what I can put up with. Of course you can't. But I can do all things through Christ. Before Saul got saved, he never lacked for money. Never, never lacked for great appreciation by people or honor. Because he was a powerful Pharisee. 
well-educated, very popular, very able to be a leader of men, always making quick decisions, teaching the precise details of the law. But from the day of his salvation, from the day he met Jesus Christ, he lost it all. But he had one thing left, and his name was Jesus. That was what made him great. His education, another man kind of parallels him. His name was Moses. Moses, at the desire, and as a good desire of his mom, wanted his, her son to live in a day when they were, when they were, um, post-birth aborting children. And they, they wanted to get rid of all of the boy children, and, um, uh, Moses' mom put him in that basket, sent him down the river, ends up in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh personally makes sure that Moses is trained in the best schooling, has the best education. Moses was on his way to being possibly the next Pharaoh of Egypt. And the Lord said, can't use you. When Moses tried to be used of God, he ended up murdering a man, having to flee for his life. And for the next 40 years, kicking the sand, saying, don't understand God. God didn't do what I what, didn't help me do what I was supposed to do. I thought God this, and I thought God that. I thought God would use my eloquence. I thought God would use my wisdom. And God said, "No, I want to be the one that does everything." And Moses, forty years later, talking to God to a, to a burning bush, Moses says, I, I, "I can't even speak anymore." And the Lord says, "Perfect." <laughs> Amen. You know, when you lose everything and you still have Christ, you're okay. See, I've lost my country. Lost some of my family. I've lost my job. I've lost uh, business opportunities. I've lost money and wealth. So what? So what? You know why I say that? And I don't say that unkind. I say, have you got Christ? If you've got Him, you've got the secret. They're out there crying, trying to figure out how to survive another day. You can survive eternity. And they made Paul a great Christian. Third secret. He relearned everything. He relearned everything. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. As I just said, he was well-educated, very learned in the Old Testament Scriptures. He had been taught personally by one of the greatest teachers of his day named Gamaliel, a rabbi. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. I kind of spoke on this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about making time for God alone. But Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conver- conversation in time past, my way of life in time past, in the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure, what was he doing? I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. So he's going the wrong way. And I profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and he called me by his grace to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. What? He didn't go sit down and, and, and get personally taught by Peter. I would have. But look what he says, verse 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went where? Into Arabia. And returned again to Damascus. And verse 18 tells you, after three years. And then he went to Jerusalem to see Peter. He wrote, well, abode with him for 15 days? Think about that. How much Bible can you learn in 15 days? Not much. just want to say this. Um, Saul had been taught... Every jot, every tittle of the Hebrew Old Testament by Gamaliel. What, what he had learned were traditions and ceremonies and rituals and letters of the law. But with nothing but time on his hand now. Desert all around him. Saul was personally taught the Bible all over again. How humiliating would that have been? Jesus spoke to a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was well-educated. He was a teacher of the Jewish law. And Jesus said, you've got to start all over again. You must be born again. 
You must become like a little child again. To get into the kingdom of God, old men have to start completely over. Amen. That's why it's easier for a nine-year-old to get saved than a 90-year-old. Because a 90-year-old says, surely I'm not all that wrong. (laughs) You know what? During that time, while he was out there in that desert, he was willing to start over. You know what I find in Christians? They've got everything all figured out. They haven't got anything that's teachable about them. Here he was, he slowed down, you have to slow down out in the desert to ponder stuff. And he started over at page one of the Bible, carefully learning one thing about every page of the Bible. You know what that was? Jesus is there. He discovered in the pages of the Bible that Christ is the promised seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, who would one day come and crush Satan. He discovered Joseph was like Jesus, who was hated and suffered at the hand at the hands of his own brethren and yet becomes the Savior of the world. In Exodus, Paul noticed that Christ is a sacrificial Passover lamb given for us all to save us from the punishment of our sin. In Leviticus, Christ is our high priest making perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin. In uh, Numbers, he was the water from the rock. He even was the rock. He was manna from heaven and he was the condemned brass serpent on a pole that gave life back to people who would just look and live. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the prophesied prophet who was greater than Moses and all his laws. In the book of Joshua, Paul discovers Jesus to not be the captain of the armies of Israel, but the captain of the armies of heaven. In the book of Judges, Paul noticed that all the judges that God constantly raised up among Israel were special deliverers, pointing to Israel's greatest future deliverer one day, Jesus Christ. In the book of Ruth, a great man named Boaz redeemed all the debts of a pagan Gentile woman named Ruth simply because he loved her. All as a picture of Christ paying off all the debts of the whole world just because Christ loves us. In Samuel, David shows up up as a lowly shepherd who was made king of Israel just like Jesus would become. Job points to Christ as the resurrected Redeemer. Esther pictures Christ interceding for his people. In Psalms, he found Jesus to be our perfect strength and our song in all of our weaknesses. In Ecclesiastes, Paul found that Jesus is the only worthwhile meaning of life. Everything else is vanity. In Song of Solomon, Jesus is described as the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he found Christ's glorious birth as well as his awful suffering. Jeremiah revealed that Jesus would be acquainted with sorrows. In Ezekiel, Paul noticed that Jesus is the perfect son of man. In Daniel, Paul noticed for the first time that the fourth man in the fire was the son of God. In Hosea, Paul found Jesus to be a faithful husband even when we run away. Joel describes Christ sending his spirit upon his people. Amos tells us that Jesus will be the judge of all nations one day. In Micah, Paul discovered that Jesus cast all our sins behind his back in the sea of God's forgetfulness. In Nahum, Jesus will be the source of future world peace that we can't even imagine. Obadiah warns of the coming judgment upon a world before the perfect kingdom of Christ. Jonah shows us the greatest picture of the resurrection. Zephaniah says that Jesus will be the final and forever king of Israel. Haggai shows that Jesus as a Messiah will restore perfect worship of God. Zechariah prophesies of Jesus riding on a colt and instead of being made king, will be pierced and slaughtered for us all. And in Malachi, Paul discovers Jesus to be the son of righteousness who rises from the dead with healing in his wings. Every book, every chapter, almost every page of your Bible has Jesus in it. And Paul had never seen that. And it transformed, it, 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 it must, it transformed his Bible reading. Wouldn't you agree? All of a sudden, it's not just letters and laws and rules and do's and don'ts. It's wow and wow and wow. Paul got to preach what he read and saw about Jesus throughout his Bible. Sure thrills me. You know, when you see Jesus in those passages and scriptures, it makes you want to do more for him. Because he did all that for me. One of his... And you've got to be willing to do that. You've got to be willing to... Start over and learn, just like a child. 
Fourthly, he valued other men's investment in his life. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul was rarely alone. By the way, that's a good accountability practice. If you spend all your time alone, let me tell you, the devil will make hay of you. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11 says this, Only Luke is with me. So take Mark, and he's writing to Timothy, he says, Go get Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul made sure that as best as possible, he did not try to do the ministry alone. Paul was not a loner. He loved being in church. He loved being around the congregation of the saints, as imperfect as they may be. And he loved good men. He wanted their influence in his life. He wanted good, godly, wise, biblical influences in his life. Because to be a great leader, you must first be a great follower. Paul became teachable under godly men. Not from YouTube, guys. Believe me. If I... Listen. If I can show you the difference between real church and YouTube church. used to be TV evangelists. You know what I'm talking about. The God Channel and all that. Let me tell you, it's fake. You know why I call that? Because they've edited it. They've got everything timed. It all fits in a package. It's not like church. You can learn some stuff from them. I'm not saying they're all evil or all wrong, but let me tell you, that's not church. You know where Paul was? With people, flawed people, where the piano doesn't work. Where the pastor's voice is raspy. Where he goes on and on and on and on. I got a few laughs out of that. Paul said, I want to be under good, godly mentors. And by the way, simple, flawed, stammering, imperfect, faithful men are much better than anything you can find on YouTube. If they're in your life. Yeah, I'm telling you, we, we are so, we're Westerners. We have a bubble around us. You know what I'm talking about? That bubble says, don't get in my bubble. Somebody comes up to you, you back off, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, we, we, we have our little bubble around us. We have our world that we control. We control all the influences and everything. And we never just sit and listen and take the, take the chicken, eat the meat and throw away the bone. Everybody's so precise about every reason why I don't like so-and-so. Just get you a good, godly, stammering, Influence in your life that's faithful to God and want to be like Him. Amen. Want to be like her. God says to the, uh, Jesus says to, well, Paul says in, in Titus, He says to the, to the Christians, He says, older women have to teach the younger women how to handle their emotions, how to love their husbands, how to love their children. Say, how is that? Isn't that all natural? It is not natural. Our natural thing is to get bitter. Our natural thing is to argue and fight and not know how to fix things. You need older women influencing younger. We need young women who want to be influenced. Does that make sense? We need young men who want to be influenced by just some real guys. Well, he's not very smart. Did you know you don't have to be very smart to be great? Amen. Amen. Paul became teachable under men. I don't get the wrong thing. You're going to learn a lot from lots of different teachers, but Paul said this. You can have 10,000 teachers, but only a few real faithful. And he uses the term fathers who were there when you got saved and who personally led you to Christ. And you can listen to all those 10,000 teachers, but they won't help you like that person who led you to Christ who may not have all the answers, but knows you and will help you the best. Fact. Well, let's see. I'll come to my fact in a second. Oh, let me say it this way. The imperfect pastor or preacher that actually lives near you and that faithfully believes this book and has no axe to grind with anybody but the devil will be better for you than 10,000 teachers on YouTube and on TV. May God save Christianity from all these YouTube pastors and not just real pastors. There are no perfect pastors, no perfect mentors. And I'm not going to stand here and say I'm even trying. But Paul learned how to work with other flawed men as a team. He got along, he tried to get along with people who were the opposite of him. The same has to be true in your life. That's why God has a church. So we get around and we, I, 
My dad left when I was 12 years old. And the first man that I looked up to from that day till 17, when I was 17, I got saved. The first man that I looked up to and I wanted to be like was in church. He was my pastor. I looked up to him and I said, I actually, I told you, I said, I wanted, I asked him one day, his wife was standing there, I said, can I move in with you? And his wife said, no! <laughs> but that was, that ought to be in you. It ought to just say, I want something more than I have. And God has to humble me to make me like so and so, so that I serve God without any care about anybody else. Make me like that person. That's how you've got to live. Having good godly people in your life still makes great Christians, man. Still makes great Christians. Other people. Fifth. Acts 24. Acts 24, verse 14. Acts 24, 14. You know, one of the keys to Christian success. I'm going to be real plain. I'm watching apologeticists, people who claim to be able to speak and teach the Bible, falling by the wayside, left, right, and center, trying to witness and trying to confront these Muslims and trying to confront all the different cults, and they always back off from believing the Bible completely. And I'm watching too many of them say, well, we know that that isn't really in the Bible. and Really, that's translated wrong. Really, And they're making all these excuses, let me tell you. You know what Paul believed? You know what made Paul great? And why those guys were only only failures? Look at Acts chapter 24, 14. But this, Paul standing up there in front of a large crowd, he says, This I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. You never find Paul ever one time correcting the Bible. You never find Paul one time saying Jonah is only a story, it's not true. You never find Paul one time saying, well, you know, Jesus really didn't walk on water. That's impossible. He always believed everything that was in the Bible. Now you say, that's just, that's just not very intelligent. No, but it's smart. Matter of fact, it's great. Paul was great because he had faith in one book. You can read any book you want. You can read anything you want, folks, let me tell you, but you better believe one book. Read and believe this book above all. Now the world says, believe anything except the Bible. You know, you're, you, 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 you may have a Bible, you may even read some of it, but your friends will tell you, don't keep reading it. Definitely don't read it twice. I've watched people Learn, Bi- learn Bible words like Lord. Oh, that sounds special, doesn't it? Lord Jesus. And they use Bible words and they learn Bible words like grace. Let's, 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 let's have grace. They learn Bible words like love one another. And boy, you're a blessing. <laughs> All they're doing is they're just regurgitating the words to sound spiritual. But they know nothing of what they speak of. People will say, you can read the Bible, but definitely don't believe it. You can make Jesus part of your life, but don't make him your life. See the difference? Mix God into your life, just don't give up anything. But Paul believed everything in the pages of Scripture. You have your hymnal. Look at your hymnal. We sang that song. Leave us 206. Look at that hymn. If there's one thing that will defeat you as a Christian, it's what I'm about to show you. 206. I'm not asking you to stand and sing. I just want you to see these words. If you would just believe what you say you believe. Look at what he says. Wonderful grace of Jesus. What kind of grace is it? If you believed it was wonderful, you'd sing like it. Greater than all my sin. Do you believe that? How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden. Setting my spirit what? You know, you start to believe that, you might come unglued in church. Amen. For the wonderful grace of Jesus, it reaches me. Look at the second verse. Wonderful grace of Jesus, 
reaching to all the lost. If you believe that, you'd believe that he could save anybody. By it, I have been pardoned. I've been saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty. You want to be a victor? Believe it. Believe it. Too many people sing it. Too many people read it. Too many people in this room, in this church, they carry a Bible and they don't believe it. I beg of you, when you read and you see and you hear the Word of God, say, I believe it. It'll change your life. <clears throat> Paul had great confidence and just believe it. He didn't understand it. Don't even think for a second that as great as Paul was that he could connect all the dots. He just believed it. Somebody come along and says, you really understand this? Can you understand the Trinity? Nope. But I believe it. Amen. Can you understand how, how God could create billions of light years of galaxies? Nope. But I believe it. Amen. And you know what it does? It does something great in me. It makes it so that, you know what, my God's big. <laughs> and all he does is marvelous stuff. It helped him get through everything. You know, he was in the, he was a night and a day, 24 hours in the Mediterranean holding on to a, a ship board. Holding on in the middle of a storm. There was a time when the ship was sinking there and he said, be of good cheer. <laughs> the ship's sinking. He's sitting there going through times where he was destitute, where he was empty of any hope except, except of God and he's singing in a prison. Why? Because he just believed God. He just believed what he read in the Bible. Realize if you actually do believe this book, people will say you're crazy. They did with Paul. We don't have time to look at it, but actually, chapter 26, Festus looks and says, Paul, you're beside yourself. All this learning has made you mad. And Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. I just believe it. Amen. Six. He lived a life of integrity. Acts chapter 24. Folks, let me tell you, say it very simple. Integrity is more important than success. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered for himself. Acts 24, 10. Answered, for as much as I know that thou hast been many years a judge unto this nation, unto Israel as a nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Every time we're reading about him, we see him in, 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 in court. <laughs> and he, he's having to defend himself, but he says, I'm glad to do it. Verse 11, because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple arguing and disputing with any man. I wasn't there to start a fight. Neither raising up the people. I wasn't starting to raise a tumult. Neither in the synagogues nor in the city. I wasn't doing it anywhere. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess, as we just read, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law, and in the prophets. There is no... You know what Paul's saying? Check me out. Look at my life. See what kind of life I live. Find out, was I trying to start a riot? Find out if I was trying to create a revolt. Find out if I was trying to overthrow the Jewish Sanhedrin. Check it out. Because I determined from the day I got saved, I would live by character, live with integrity. Because there's no real success unless you have some rules that you live and die by that keep you from doing wrong. You see, integrity is so much more than we think it is. Paul sought to be blameless, not sinless, but blameless. He never offered excuses when he did wrong. He only sought to make things right. He sought to be blameless. If, if you know, inadvertently he gave he gave a, a ten euro note and somebody gave him change for twenty back and he's going out to his his chariot there or whatever and he notices he's got an extra tenner in there, whoopee! The Lord has blessed me, right? No, he went back in. He says, sorry, you, you, over, you paid me back more for the change than I deserve. He stayed blameless. He had an absolute moral compass of what was right and wrong. Where do you think he got that compass from, by the way? The scripture. He would not allow himself to do wrong. He would not allow himself to do wrong when no one was watching. Amen. That's what integrity is. He made rules for himself. You know, we're all good at making rules for other people. Now, Kathy, you're not allowed to do this. Now, Dan, you're not allowed to do that. But it's another thing when you make rules for yourself. That's what integrity is. That kept him out of trouble and temptation. He was willing to suffer for doing right. And are you ready? 
He was also willing to take responsibility when he did wrong. That's integrity. Any of you listening? Used to be our dads used to teach us integrity and character. If your dad didn't teach this, it's almost impossible to learn. He lived an open and honest life before men. He had absolutely nothing to hide. Imagine being that open. Can you imagine being that open where everybody knows everything about you? Would you want it? Paul did. One of the secrets of success was, I've got nothing to hide. I just want to live for the Lord. You find faults in me, I'll fix it. He paid every debt and every bill he ever had. You know, we live in a day where the millennials are growing up and they don't care. They just want, they just want everything free. Guess what? Somebody's got to pay. Amen. And there's a generation before the millennials who are making debts left, right, and center and we haven't been paying. It's a shame. You know what? You, you, if you get in debt, guess what? Pay it off. Amen. That's the rule. Now they're extenuating circumstances. But integrity says it's right to do. Amen. It's right to do. He spent his life, spend his time judging himself instead of everyone around. I could, I could spend all my life finding fault with everybody in this room. But who am I supposed to find the fault with? Amen. You know, integrity spends 99% of your time thinking about, man, I gotta work on this. Man, I gotta work on that. Man, that tongue of mine. Man, this imagination of mine. Amen. Somebody else may need a rebuke one time out of a hundred, but the rest of the time rebuke yourself. Amen. That's integrity. This made Paul a great Christian. He accepted affliction and thorns as part of the Christian life. Go to Philippians, we said 4, 11 to 13. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak in respect of want. I don't want to talk about all the things that I need. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be... What's that next big word? Learn to be content. I now know this. He said, I didn't know it, but I know both how to be abased. That means made at the bottom. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. That's why I can do all things through Christ with strengtheneth me. You know, in, in, when, when he had a great day and somebody took him to lunch and he got dessert with it, he went, praise God. That was a gift from God. And when he had no food and he went to bed hungry and he had no clothes to put on the next day that were clean, he went, praise God. I have learned to be content. Are you there yet? Shake your head like an honest man. Paul accepted afflictions and thorns as much as the blessings, and he accepted them as part of the Christian life. He was not a spoiled brat. Living on soft pillows and wealthy popularity since getting saved. How many people get the wicked, twisted gospel thinking, well, if you get saved, all your troubles will be past. That is a lie. We come to people and they're in deep need. Their need doesn't get need to be fixed. Their need brings them to Christ because they have a deeper need still. What is their deeper need? Hell. They need to be forgiven. Oh, listen, I'll pray for you. And maybe God will give you back your home. and get, Maybe, maybe not. But you need to be born again. Amen. Paul accepted them. The afflictions, the thorns, the trials of life. Part of his Christian life. He endured a lot of troubles. A lot of troubles. Afflictions and poverty. Most anyone else would have quit. Got fed up. But Paul determined to allow all this to teach him humility and to teach him contentment. Because that only comes from troubles. It kept him empowered too. Because when you're weak, then are you what? Strong in his grace. Amazing, isn't it? I think this. I think Christians who have never had to deal with serious problems. I think most of you have, but just follow me along. Christians who have never had to deal with serious problems, serious struggles, serious poverty, serious disappointments, never amount much to more than seriously spoiled brats who complain about everything. Amen. 
Amen and amen. You might, you find somebody who's been through hell on earth and still praising God. You know what? You'll never hear them complain. You see somebody and they stub their toe or they break a fingernail and they're cursing everybody around them. You need to get some real trouble and endure. Amen. He had a clear call from God. Acts 26. You say, is this going to ever end? No. Acts chapter 26. That was a joke. Acts chapter 26. He had a clear call from God. Verse 15. Acts 26, 15. See, these are messages I can't, I don't have time to preach at you camp. So I got to preach it here. Acts chapter 26, verse 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he responded back, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister, a servant, and a witness, both of all these things which thou hast seen and those things which, in the which I will appear unto thee. We struggle with wanting to do what we want to do. From the time we were infants, we always want to do what we want to do. We ignore the fact that God knows perfectly well what we should do and what we need to do. We need to make a mark on our generation, folks. Paul had a God-given purpose for his new life. From the moment he got saved, he said, there's something for me to do. And he knew it. You know, knowing what he's supposed to do enabled him to walk away from his, his Pharisee pension. Are you listening? See, he was a Pharisee that had a pension. He had a house. He had everything supplied by his religion. And he walked away from it. I was telling somebody yesterday, I talked to several Irish Catholic priests. Kind of don't talk to me anymore, I don't know. But they seem to always show up wanting to talk to me when I first got here, but that's a long story. But at least two of them said, if you're right, I have to lose everything. You know what? Never heard from them again. I hope they actually put the pieces together and figured out. It's much better to walk away from all those lies and all that deception and walk away and follow the light and follow Jesus Christ. But when... When Jesus said, I got a job for you to do, you know what Paul said? When do we start? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if every person in this room, the moment that you got saved, that you said, Lord, what would that have me to do? Wouldn't that be a great prayer to pray? You say, I didn't pray that. Pray it today. Because knowing what God wants you to do and the fact that you are willing to do whatever God wants you to do will make a great Christian out of you. Most of you resisted because, well, I'm scared. Of course you're scared. That's human. It doesn't make sense. Welcome to the club. Paul was the most intellectual person in the world, and God said, Jesus said, I want you to go talk to them dumb, dog, ignorant Gentiles who didn't know how to read, who didn't know how to write, who ate each other. Paul, go and tell them the gospel. But Lord, all of my talents are wasted then. The Lord said, I can't hear you. I only want to hear one word. Yes, Lord. All right. And then here's Peter. Peter's... Just a hick hillbilly from, from, from Cary, I'm sorry, from Galilee. <laughs> Peter couldn't conjugate two verbs in the same sentence. Peter couldn't, he can't even finish a message. Peter just, just, he's just a dumb fisherman. And Jesus said, I want you to go preach to those intellectual Jews. It don't make sense. Amen? That's how God works. And what you just got to do is, whatever God calls you to do, whatever, and it starts with the little things. The Lord says, give that person a track. Do it. The Lord says, get up and get to church every Sunday. Do it. Amen. And then he shows you the big things and you go, wow. That's a secret to doing something great for God. A man who is self-called and self-made. I'm a self-made man. Really? Is cursed by his own limits and will end alone and empty of anything of lasting value. But any man who is God-called and selfless will be used beyond his own limits and end full of everlasting rewards. I know which man I want to be. He determined that God's grace would not be wasted in his life. Two more very quick thoughts. 1 Corinthians 15.10 1 Corinthians 15.10 
Can you say Ephesians 2.8 with me if you can? For by grace are you saved through faith. Just stop right there. For by grace. All right, let's talk about grace for a second. Grace is God's kindness that we did not deserve. It is God's attention on us when we shouldn't have any of his attention. It's him being good and doing things for us and reaching into our lives when we fought him and resisted him. Look what it says about grace in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was, look at that wonderful word, poured out, bestowed upon me, not in vain. You ever given somebody something to do and knew, well, I'll never get done. Just, you know, you say to your husband, watch the kids, I'm going out for a little, you know it's never going to happen. You're, you're wasting your breath, we say. You know, you, you, you find out, you've given, you know, this money to your kids and all, and, and you say, what'd you do with all that money I gave you last month? You kept, I kept giving you money. You say, dad, can I have a tenner? Dad, can I have this? And you find out they've been buying Skittles. You go, it was all in vain. When the Lord gave, when the Lord gave you grace, one of the great, if not one of the greatest secrets to Paul's greatness was he says, I'm not going to let God waste it. When he gave it to me, I'm going to make sure it's used. I'll give you a, the, the parable Jesus gave of the man, the three men with talents. One they gave five to, another one to two, another one to one. They didn't earn it. They were just given it. And with those talents, with that value of money, the person doubled the value. He worked hard so that he could give something back to the Lord. The two doubled it to four. But the guy who got one, what did he do with it? He said, I, I know I'll mess it up. I, I, I know I, I won't do, I, I won't be able to make much money with it. And so he hid it. And the Lord said, thou wicked and slothful servant. Why? Because I wasted my time giving you anything. You know, Paul said, I don't want God to ever think he wasted any effort on my life. Look again in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. So I labored more abundantly than they all. Speaking of Peter and James and John, I, I labored, I worked hard. Yet it was not I, it was the grace of God which was with me. Paul was determined that God's grace would not be wasted in his life. Jesus had invested in him grace. So he labored, he worked hard. You said, I thought you didn't have to work. You don't have to work to get saved, but believe me, after you get saved, get busy. Work at it, man. And you know why you do it? Because God's given you everything. And he didn't give it to you so that you would just be a spoiled brat. There's that phrase again. He worked harder than anybody else. He went further. He preached more because of grace. Not out of fear. Not because he was afraid of going to hell. Not because he wasn't good enough to get to heaven. He did it because God had given him grace. What a change of view. Man. It was hard being a Christian in the first century. hard being a Christian in the 21st century too. Don't think you'll amount to anything without some serious effort on your part. It takes time to read your Bible all the way through. Again and again and again. Um, you need to make the effort to pray for extended periods of time. It's hard to pray for more than five minutes. Labor more than they all. Make time to go out and personally win hard people to Christ. Work at serving alongside other believers you don't like in church. Jesus did everything for you to be saved. Is there anything, come back, is there anything that you'd be willing to do so that it's not wasted? I'll finish with this one. Acts 28. Acts 28. And this is good. He shook off satanic attacks and personal attacks. Acts chapter 28, verse 5. Acts 28, verse 5. Well, go back a bit. <clears throat> verse 1, Paul and his, all these men on a ship are shipwrecked on Malta. Acts 28, verse 1, and when we were all, when they were escaped, then we knew that the island was called Melita, or Malta as we say. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness 
for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. So it's freezing, it's raining, they're drenched, they've just come out of the, of the Mediterranean Sea. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the barbarous barbarian saw the venomous beast hang on his hand. I mean, you imagine Paul's got this thing hanging on his hand. Paul's looking at it. Everybody's looking at it. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, Uh-uh, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. He's, he's, somebody, uh, justice is being done. And what did Paul do? Verse 5. He shook off the beast into the fire and felt no Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 14. Many of the brethren in the Lord, that's his brethren, waxing confident by my imprisonments, by my bonds, are much more bold now to speak the word without fear. Because I'm willing to go to jail for the gospel, others are now bold enough to speak without fear. Some indeed preached Christ even of envy. Why would they envy Paul? But they did. And strife. They were arguing with Paul. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention. They always mention me as a troublemaker, as someone that makes it hard for them. Not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bond. But the other... They speak of love, out of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. But who cares, verse 18, what then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense, out of, out of contention, or in truth, Christ is what? Amen. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You know what Paul decided? That satanic attacks go with the territory. Now me, satanic attacks come, and it's terrifying. I take satanic attacks very seriously. Probably you do too. But I shouldn't. Not if, not if I claim to prove that God is bigger. Saying that satanic attacks crippled Paul at times. But to him, they were no big deal. He just expected them. In the same way, to Paul, human attacks, especially from other believers, the ones that hurt us the most, as painful as they were, he still expected them. He just believed that good would come out of it all. And when, when somebody would say something that would stab him to the heart, he'd shake it off. Are you there yet? I'm not. I still take things personally. Do you? Don't you wish you just had a Teflon shield? You just stand up there like a you know, Star Trek, shield up. We're not. We're still flesh and blood. We still struggle. But one of the great things about Paul is, whack! Satan jumps up there and bites hard. And he shook him off and he went on working. Didn't stop him one bit. You're not going to be able to stop the attacks. But you can shake them off. You can shake them off. Why? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A mark of greatness is the ability to expect opposition and misunderstandings and personal stabs and to just shake it off. Believe me, this is the last point. You know why? Because nobody gets here until they've been thoroughly converted until they believe that book word for word, until they are desperately connected and dependent upon Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? You want to get to this place? Put all those other secrets in place in your life. I had more to say, but let me just stop. I've given you a few of the things that God did in Paul's life and what he did in response that made him the greatest Christian who's ever lived. I could list some more, but you'll have to come to youth camp to hear them. All these ingredients just fed into one life. How many of you are one life? Isn't that a crazy thought? One life. And what did he do? More than we could ever dream. Is he somebody special? No. He just had some secrets that we've now seen that we should live by. See, I can't live by all of them. Live by one. Put one in place in your life that you're going to believe, that you're going to depend, that you're going to trust that you're going to labor something. What if all those secrets, I like that word secret, it's not a secret, you understand what I'm saying? All of those ingredients, if it mixed in just one person's life in this room, I'm looking at Weston, I'm looking at Clive, I'm looking at Allison, I'm looking at Nita, I'm looking at, no, no, I'm looking at, 
Gavin here. If it, if it packaged itself in just one person in this room, what would happen? What would happen? So what's holding you back? I know some people take years to finally get saved. Fool is the word I give. Because today is the day that you ought to get saved. If it's that important to trust Jesus Christ for salvation, it's that important to follow Him too with all your life. Father, as we bow, the secrets of a Christian success really aren't secrets, but we, we don't notice them. We don't even go looking for them. We, we think that there's only secrets to success with money, success with girlfriends, success with business, success with health. But there is a set of things that are waiting for us to apply. Not all at once, but certainly we should want to apply so that we're more than we are. So that we become an investment in your hand. We're not just losers. Constant failures. Not because of, of, of what you say, but because of what our own conscience tells us and what the world tells us and what the devil tells us. Lord, may we seek to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because we want to be like Paul. Thank you for giving us Paul. Thank you for showing us by his life that a human, a believer, could be so, so powerful in the Christian walk. In this room, Lord, he had to get saved first. It all begins at conversion. Somebody could get saved today if they would just believe with all their heart that this book is true and that Jesus died for them and that he wants to save them now. Let them believe it. And every Christian live what we claim to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.